This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of Sam Raimi for Friday, May 6th, 2022. And there he is across the table for me, my favorite little deadite. It's Adam Hall. I was, I was hoping we might pull some dark man characters out of there. I want to be Robert G. Durant. The name's not Buddy. It's Durant. Robert G. Durant. Are you aware what the names of the two Darkman sequels are? <laughs> I've, I've heard that there are sequels. I have not seen either. I don't know the titles. I'm going to blow your mind. There are two direct-to-video sequels <laughs> yeah. not involving Sam Raimi or Liam Neeson. I know, I know. But some of the villains, Colin Friels and Larry Drake, both return to the Wait. next two movies. Here are the two names. Ready? Direct-to-video sequels from the mid-90s. Darkman 2, The Return of Durant. <laughs> How did he survive that fucking crash? I mean... <laughs> That's a hell of a crash. The copies must have just been flying off the shelves. Wait, Durant is Durant? back for Darkman 2? <laughs> Put that shit in theaters. Robert G. No. Durant? <laughs> Not just any Durant, the Robert G. Durant. <laughs> <laughs> then Darkman 3, and this is this is the killer right here. This is just the left hook. Die, Darkman, die. <laughs> They uh, went black exploitation film title, was, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about those titles. They can work. They can. They rarely work for me. I don't know. Die, dark man, die. Give me a break. Pussycat, kill, kill. You know. I guess. They, I I love titles like that. That is a great title. Dark man three. Die, dark man, die. But it makes me think of like Halloween kills, Halloween ends. Like those titles suck. Yeah, you need to add a second verb. I think. Oh yeah, I, see, I think I that's see. the key. I think you double the verb, you're fine. And I also think it helps if the movies don't suck. Yeah, <laughs> like chitty chitty bang bang. You know, chitty chitty bang. What is that? That's true. Chitty chitty bang. Yeah, you got to go bang bang. It's a sexual innuendo. You got to put the is. you got to put the emphasis on the on the die part of die dark man die. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case we weren't clear at the beginning of the title, I would like you to cease living. Does he die? Does I don't it? know. I I bet you he does not die. I'm morbidly curious about those movies. I imagine I will never see them in my life. I've heard they're pretty bad. Yeah, I mean they're direct to video sequels. Hey, that can happen when they're okay. I don't mind. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you really dug yourself into a hole uh, on that one. <laughs> Lion King one and a half. Did that have a theatrical release? I think it was direct to DVD. All yeah. right, that's a good movie. Starship Troopers three is not good, but I kind of like it. <laughs> Starship Troopers two is an abortion of a movie. So there's that. Uh, let's see. Best direct-to-video sequels. We'll find out right now. Most of them are Disney. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I'm pulling it up right now. Brother Bear 2, Bambi 2, Aladdin, The Return of Jafar. Yeah, that's right. Um, Yeah, there's not a lot of, like, live action. I guess the Tremors movies. I like... Oh, sure. I, I don't like the third one, but two and four are good. Two and four are actually good, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the closest you got. Uh, Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning, mm. uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that was direct-to-video. Cool. Interesting. Uh, yeah, Aladdin, The Animatrix. Oh, sure, The Matrix uh, animated thing. I see. Yeah, I, see. I heard people kind of like that. Tremors 2, Aftershocks. Yeah, I like that one. An extremely goofy movie. Oh, I didn't mind that, that one. I, I like was... both of those movies. Yeah, those are good. I mean, it's... 
such nostalgia porn for me, but I love them. <laughs> Curse of Chucky. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's okay, I suppose. Yeah, not a lot of diamonds in the rough, though, here. No. You know? No. Oh, The Land Before Time. Iconic straight-to-video sequels. Yeah. I mean, that might be the... That and Tremors might be the two straight-to-video franchises, the two most iconic. I, I used to love those Land Before Times movies. We've still yet to do a let's revisit our childhood for, on why is this a thing. I want to do that for movies like that. Yeah. yeah. You ever seen From Dusk Till Dawn 3? I haven't seen From Dusk Till Dawn 2. Yeah. Uh, the Hangman's Daughter from Dusk Till Dawn 3. <laughs> Apparently Robert Rodriguez was involved. In what capacity? Not sure. They also did a TV show. They did? Yeah. Eh. Yeah, some movies you just watch it and you're like, well, had enough of that. <laughs> That's really enjoyable, but... You know what else they did a TV show for? What? Evil Dead. Good segue. We're talking Sam Raimi. <laughs> Sam Raimi is the topic of discussion this week because in cinemas this weekend is uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness which is Sam Raimi's first film since 2013. Yeah. 2013's Oz the Great and Powerful was Sam Raimi's last big screen effort. Since then, he's sort of been bumming around on TV. He did the pilot for that uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead show. Now, you say that Ash vs. Evil Dead show as if it's a disposable thing. One of the best TV shows I've ever seen. Fair enough. Okay. And the pilot, I imagine, is Remarkable. Remarkable. And you should see it right away. It's fantastic. Yeah, don't don't mean to belittle the work that Sam Raimi's been doing. I, I just I would say it's in the grand scheme of things less significant work. I'd say it's more significant than fucking Oz the Great and Powerful. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> but he's been away for a number of years. Yeah. Now he's back doing a Marvel movie under Kevin Feige's watchful eye. Mm. And uh, the reviews seem to be positive. We have not gotten a chance to see it yet, but yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that they're positive. I'm not really so. I'm not so much interested in like whether or not the reviews are. I guess I want them to be positive, but one one of the I'm more interested in whether or not it's actually a Sam Raimi film in the way that Guardians is a James Gunn film. That's all I care about. Yeah, I almost don't care if it's good. I think that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, yeah, I almost don't yeah. care if I like it. <laughs> it would just break my heart if this guy was not allowed to make a Sam Raimi film. Because he's one of my favorite filmmakers, full yeah. disclosure. Sure. I have a lot of love and affection for this guy. Always he's at a young age, didn't even know that I have had affection for him. But those Spider-Man movies mean more to me than almost anything. Yes. A very strange career, too. And this is why I think today's podcast is going to be so interesting. Mm-hmm. We are trying to focus the discussion on the pre-Spider-Man films. Now, there's not a lot of post-Spider-Man films. He kind of went into Hollywood purgatory afterwards. He did... 2009's Drag Me to Hell. He did Oz the Great and Powerful. Uh, the former uh, is uh, is relatively liked by its crowd. Yes. And that crowd would include you, right? <laughs> Oz the Great and Powerful, not so much. No one seems to like that movie. But it's kind of interesting. This is a guy now in the year 2022 who is most known for Spider-Man. But then you look at his career before that, he had a whole like arc before his most iconic movie, right? He did like 
independent stuff early on that gained like a cult VHS following. And then he ended up working in the studio system. And then he sort of fizzled out there, started working on like crappy Kevin Costner baseball movies. And then he's, you know, back doing Spider-Man and he's on top of the world again. And now we talk about him as though like, like he's Orson Welles, you know, it's like, oh, remember when Sam Raimi was doing comic book movies? Yeah, his trajectory to me is almost identical to George Miller's, and it's kind of creepy how similar they are. Yes. When you have, even even like his his baby movies, which are the Evil Dead films, sort of mirror Mad Max in a funny way when you look at them. Yes. Even down to like the way the third movie exists yes. in its in its in its lineage. Yes. The tone of them, the yeah, feel exactly. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> And then the sequel, and the way the sequel is looked at amongst film scholars and everything. Yeah. And then the way he just went on to do just this whole weird variety of movies. Yes. It's interesting. Very interesting. It, you can almost track the sort of the timeline of the industry from the 80s, yeah. 90s, and 2000s just by looking at his career, mm-hmm. right? You have 80s schlocky horror, and that takes you all the way up, you know, from Evil Dead to Evil Dead 2 to Dark Man to Army of Darkness. Then by the mid-90s, the independent movement has sort of taken off and he's working, you know, on interesting sort of like original pieces of of IP. Uh, You have Quick and the Dead, 1995, during this big boom on Westerns. You have uh, a simple plan, which is, you know, sort of playing in the same sandbox that the Coens were playing in. Very Harvey Weinstein, and it's like slightly elevated, independent way. It's very Oscar Beatty in that way. Uh, and then, you know, early 2000s, he's making shitty horror movies with Kate Blanchett. And then he begins the whole superhero new wave in the 2000s. Um, so it's a really, it's a varied career. Yeah. It's an up and down career. There's some bombs. There's some classics. There's um, there's like a lot of weird like studio tension. Um But, like, yeah, if you want to know exactly what was happening in Hollywood during the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, (laughs) this and kind of George Miller in a certain way are the two guys that you want to look at, you know? Yeah, I agree. And it's very interesting. But, but, uh, unlike a lot of that stuff that sort of like blends in and falls back into the fray, like, I think I, I always felt like a Sam Raimi film. Always, always felt like a Sam Raimi film in the way that a George film, George Miller film, always felt like a George Miller film. Totally. So even though, like, yeah, there, there's distinguishing qualities to the way these films like stick to their era, like they're unmistakably the it's unmistakably the artist's work, and I just love that they could stand out in that way and be influential in the way that they are. It's just nice to see guys like this that don't care. One of the things, like, I I've learned more and more just about like studying George Miller is that he just doesn't really give a fuck he's kind of a fearless director and and what people say you can and can't do yes if he believes in it he'll go for it and similar to sam raimi it's like yeah i have you know 50 million dollars to make a spider-man film but you know i'm gonna tape a a camera to a baseball bat and in this scene and i'm gonna swing it around and that'll work that's the shot yeah i'm going to attach a camera to a plank and have two like production (laughs) assistants run through the woods exactly leap over logs and moss and stones (laughs) it's the case of the final shot just put it on the front of a of a fucking of a bicycle bicycle. or i think it's a motorbike yeah yeah yeah, just ride as fast down this hill as you possibly can go how are we going to get the shot of the 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 dummy getting shot by the shotgun we just shoot the thing yeah (laughs) we just shoot it with a real shotgun (laughs) yeah you know i've always sort of seen this arc as tragic because you look at the stuff he's doing at what the age of 19 on evil dead he was still in college when he was working on evil dead and he is the end of college because he'd made some college films prior yeah i i i want to say this was you know he's probably in his 20s at the point where early 20s though yeah 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 young guy 
gets his movies financed. Him and his buddy Bruce Campbell, who grew up together, the two of them, get this movie financed independently. He's doing all of this like really innovative yeah. and unbeknownst to him, groundbreaking stuff in the middle of the woods with his friends, just like creating rigs and creating essentially a visual language that horror and action and science fiction would would yeah, um, comic books would steal from. Yeah. For for yeah. decades afterwards. Uh, it's this great sort of like inspirational tale of resourcefulness and ingenuity. And it's like literally anybody can make a movie about anything now <laughs> uh, gets embraced by the studio system despite some like box office failures with crime wave which is a very notable one with the coen brothers i have not seen it we should do that on why is this a thing i one think time. that's a great idea maybe this weekend i would love it yeah we need to do that but i need to be because i'm uh, disclosure i'm going away for why is this a thing this weekend but if we do it on i don't know sunday or something i don't know yeah we need to talk that through uh yeah a movie he writes with the coen brothers that's so weird before but, the Coen brothers make Blood Simple. It's also important to, to realize the, the importance to the, uh, the creation of Sam Raimi by the Coen brothers and the creation of the Coen brothers by Sam Raimi. 100%. They live together. They were roommates. Did you know that? It is the craziest house. <laughs> Francis McDormand was Listen, there. Who's living. No, these people are all living together. I would love this. In Los Angeles. <laughs> Tell me this is not the greatest hang. Tell me you wouldn't want to light a bong and pass it around the room with this group of people. Mm. Joel Cohen, Ethan Cohen, <laughs> Sam Raimi, Francis McDormand, Holly Hunter. <laughs> Fuck yes. Are you kidding me? Fuck yeah. I know, like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, just make a movie with your friends. <laughs> but your friends are these guys. <laughs> but these are your friends. <laughs> That's the best joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, anyone could just make a movie with their friends. Yeah, my friends are two of the greatest filmmakers ever yep. and two of the greatest actresses to ever live. Yep. Yeah, sure. Just, it's easy. You fucking, your friends could, like, me, you, and Nick. That'd be like me, you, and Nick making a movie. Yeah, exactly. Just do yeah, it with great. your friends. Well, well these done. guys well did done. it. <laughs> <laughs> not fair it's not fair it's not fair the luck of the draw i had to make a movie with nico sam raimi got francis <laughs> mcdormand i got you it's not fair it's wild yeah the, the these two so uh I, I this was part of my research for evil dead but sam raimi met joel cohen who was the assistant editor of the editor that he hired to do that original Evil Dead movie. One of the rare times where Joel Cohen is actually credited as the editor. Right. I don't know if that's ever happened. I don't think it's happened since. It's always It's been pseudonym after that, yeah. I, I, when I first saw the movie, I didn't know that going yeah. into the movie for the first time. Seeing his name, I leapt out of my seat. Right. <laughs> it's like, whoa! It's wild. <laughs> so he edits part of that movie, and yeah. then they develop this friendship. And yeah, I, I think... Similar to how the film brats in the 70s were exchanging scripts with one another and looking at initial cuts and showing up to set. Uh, These three people overlap in each other's lives for the next 20 years. You know, uh, they obviously work together on Crime Wave. It's a disaster. They work together on Hudsucker Proxy. Also a disaster. Kind of weird. Those are the two collaborations, you know, where they are, are credited screenwriters in each other's movies. Um, but you know, uh, the, the Coens are filming Fargo around the same time that Raimi's doing a simple plan. So they're giving him advice about how to shoot in the snow. And, uh, yeah, it's this really interesting, obviously raising Arizona feels heavily Raimi influenced. Extremely almost feels more. I would guess it's a Raimi film before it's a Coen brothers film. hundred percent. And you would guess simple plan is a Coen brothers film rather than a Raimi film. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, 
yeah, it's it's just awesome. Like if you're into Hollywood lore, if you just like want to imagine what those conversations were like, if you were a fly on the wall for them, because it's so weird and unexpected. Like you wouldn't, I don't think you would ever guess that th- this would be the collaboration that was the most inspiring. You know, sure. But it, I guess, it does make sense though. I mean, the, I I always go back to the Coen Brothers. One of their greatest inspirations is the Road Warrior for some reason. Yeah, but like okay, sure, fine. It's interesting how yeah, that the Coens goes. could have been influenced by anything. I mean, there are another pair of directors that have worked in so many different genres and so much range. You know, well, I think the sim- the important thing for both of them, Sam Raimi and the Coen Brothers, is that like they're very inspired by just the stuff that was playing on television, yes. which could have been Fellini. Or it could have been, you know, Preston Sturgis, or something. <laughs> like Ghost Invaders from Mars. And right. you're like, yeah, it's all the same. Sure. Right. It's all the same because yeah. it's on TV. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. I think that there there's a lack of pretension. Yes. To, to those guys. Yeah. Just sheer, just enthusiasm and passion and vigor. And just, just yeah. This is one of the more inspiring craftsmen in, for, for me personally. It also yeah. felt like something that. You know, Raimi was more sort of enthusiastic about than the Coens. Uh, Joel's obviously an editor at the time, but Ethan is an accountant. He's working as an accountant, and Joel kind of drags him into it after he sort of gets his foot in the door of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And Raimi was, you know, uh, slightly older than them. I think like, you know, five, six years older than them. So he's kind of you know, acting as their mentor through all Strangely, of this. That's so weird to say. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah, yeah it, it is. So hugely important in that way. But anyway, as I was saying, right, you have this like really inspiring sort of underdog story that defines his 80s. You have this, I think, uh, critically lauded 90s period, although maybe not on a box office level. He's doing like really good work that people still love. I agree. Uh he does the three Spider-Man movies, and then, like, by the end of it, like, everyone hates Spider-Man 3, so they say you're not allowed to make four, and he's doing fucking Oz prequels, you know? And now he's he's brought in for relief on the Doctor Strange sequel. It's like the original director dropped out because of creative differences, and they bring Sam Raimi in to do, you know... As Mariano Rivera, you know? He does develop this passion, though, for for being a producer. And I've seen a lot of interviews with him just about, like, he started to feel like he had a responsibility to bring up young artists the way that he was brought up, or at least given a chance in the way that he was given a chance, which is why you see so much producing work. Like, he might even have more producing credits than directing credits at this point. Probably way more. I imagine so, yeah. Yeah. So there there, there is an... You got to give him some credit for that, I would say. It would have been nice to have seen him done a few more movies in this time. But, yeah, I I do find that somewhat admirable. And also, to his credit, he is one of those filmmakers that has just kind of done everything where it's like I understand why he might be creatively satisfied to a degree yeah so I don't know I'm not sure what part of it is like you know how much of it is he wants to take a break versus the studio system doesn't want to give him 200 million dollars anymore he made three fucking spider-man I know that's I know but that third one hurt him man I know know. it really I mean he talks about it openly in interviews you know you say like he doesn't care and when you look at his films it's like oh this is a guy directing with reckless abandon but then you hear him talk about the script process on four and, you know, how he was never able to nail that down and how he was really hurt by the, the critical response to three. And he yeah. really wanted to go out on a high note. He still talks about doing four. He still says that he'd like to take another crack at it with Craven the Hunter or something. Uh, 
So I like I feel bad for him. It's kind of like this tragic end. Now, obviously, he's got plenty of more years left. I I'm hoping for a third uh, renaissance for him. But and also, Spider Man Three is not the worst note to go out on. I'm sorry, haters. I agree. It's, it's not, I agree. It's, you could do a lot worse. You could do Dark Knight Rises. I agree. <laughs> but you're right. He, I mean, he is like, as you said, a very successful producer. He has this huge franchise on TV in Xena Warrior Princess, which yeah. ran for years. He yeah. was one of the creators of that show. Uh, so, you know, he's a guy that still works, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I feel like it, has a movie hurt a mainstream director more than uh, than, than uh, Raimi on Spider-Man 3? Like, Oh, no, well, you're forgetting uh, uh, John Carpenter and The Thing. A okay. little bit different because the renaissance with The Thing is, is, a, is a very real thing, but that movie is... Uh, solely responsible for why uh, John Carpenter went in the direction he did and why he like basically left, you know, big budget movies after that. Like, but still did great work afterwards, though. He did, right? He, did he kind of work, used yeah. that to be like, "Fuck you! I'm not going to work at such true. a big budget that you're going to yeah. be able to control me." You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, is I guess Ryan Johnson on Star Wars might be a similar example, but even he rebounded with Knives Out. You know? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sh- I, I guess M. Night? M. Night, yeah, maybe. Maybe a similar sort of trajectory? Yeah, I don't... I, it's just weird because I, I don't know if the critical response to Spider-Man 3 was even that bad. It wasn't worse than The Things. The Things' critical response was way worse. Way, right. way, way, way worse. Right. So that's interesting that he, you know, just kind of dipped out in the way that he did. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure that would happen anymore. No. I'm not sure if that movie came out today. I mean, if the movie came out today, there would be a Snyder Cut-esque, mm. you know, rallying cry among Twitter fans that, you know, desperately want to see what his original vision would have been like. It, w- well, it wouldn't have had Venom. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one thing. Sure. So. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. Let's get into it. Sam Raimi. We'll begin with his directorial debut. Yeah, a wow. movie that you love, directorial day. De- I mean, yeah, it's his theatrical directorial day. De- he made like a film in college that's a feature, but like, sure, haven't we all? <laughs> it's 1981's Evil Dead, starring Bruce Campbell, Ellen Sandweiss, and Richard D. Moniker. Nothing ever came of any of those people, right? Uh, Sandweiss was in Ash vs. Evil Dead, and I think she did some producing and stuff like that. So. Okay. Five friends travel to a cabin in the woods where they unknowingly release flesh-possessing demons. Uh, A movie, as we said, was made on a shoestring budget of $350,000, ended up grossing almost $3 million, uh, became a massive VHS hit, partially because of Stephen King's endorsement. Stephen King showed up at the premiere of the movie in Detroit, loved the movie so much, gave it its first stamp of approval, um, and then after that sort of grew this cult following both for Raimi and for its star Bruce Campbell, who I think now is like the king of nerd conventions in many ways. Fine. He's yeah. carved out that niche. Sure. That's like, I, again, I just say, I love Bruce Campbell. I just love the guy. He's unbelievable in these two movies. He's really good. You still need to watch fucking army of darkness. I know. You missed, I'm just saying you missed out. Like, you I really know. Did. I know the, the scheduling did not allow for it. Full disclosure. Anybody who talks shit about Army of Darkness, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Do not say one negative thing about Army of Darkness. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I need to get around to it. God, it's so fucking good. I know. 
just seems like my bag. You would love it. Just Bruce Campbell being Bruce, you know? This is my boomstick. <laughs> I've seen that. Quote. Everyone loves that. Yeah. You want some? <laughs> what a great chin. Uh, the best chin. What a chin. I mean, God, I just love actors that look like they've been carved out in stone. You he, know? He's always looked like that. Even when he's a kid in I know. he still looks like it's everybody's got this great quote. It's like, we agreed that I would stand behind the camera because I'm not as good looking as Bruce. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce stays in front of the cam- camera. Right. He's the good looking actor. Right. I mean, he just knows exactly what the tone of these movies are supposed to be. And it's because he was so crucial in the development, I'm sure. But yes. uh, just a guy that rises to the occasion in such a great way. And mm-hmm. I am kind of interested to watch this Evil Dead TV show it's now. So good. Because I've heard he's very good in it. Oh, yeah. He's remarkable. Best, best, you know, best performances that I think he's ever given. Really? Yeah. 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 Because a lot, a lot of range in that show, too. It's not all goofy. He's, he's really, really something in that. Right. Uh, yeah, as we said, uh, Ramey and Campbell grew up together making Super 8 films. Uh, here, they uh, got a little uh, bit of a budget and went hog wild with it. Just <laughs> inventing rigs, attaching cameras to things the cameras are not supposed to be attached to. Um, my goodness, is it gross? This thing got an NC-17 rating at the time. Yeah, uh, didn't think it would be able to, to, uh, to meet that rating given that there's not many boobs or, or sexual content. No. Like, it's kind of hard to get an NC-17 just through violence. It's very violent and very, very, very violent. And not like, not in all the ways that you would expect. Sure. Like, I'm trying to, like, like explain this to people because it is tough. Like, you've probably seen, like, obviously, like, you watch a, you know, a war film. Generally speaking, most war films are more "quote unquote" violent than this. But this is foul, man. Foul. It does make you sick. Yes. The amount of disgusting creamed corn <laughs> used in this movie to simulate like melting flesh. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? Because you don't like food very much. I don't. The claymation at the end was <laughs> oh, yeah. deeply troubling. <laughs> Well, you know what it is, too? It's not so much the look, it's the sound. That true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a shot where Ash pulls, uh, I don't know if it's a steak or a knife or something, out of one of the deadites. Mm-hmm. And you're just left with this gaping hole, slowly gushing blood, like a like toothpaste coming out of the tube. It's like a lockdown shot, too. Yes. And just a very slow hand comes to cover the blood that's jutting out. Right. It, like, it's that, it's the shrieking sounds. I mean, it is crazy how much screaming there is and how long it goes on. Like, here's the thing about this movie, right? Because it's a $350,000 independent thing, there's only rooms for so many scenes. There's only room for so many ideas. And there are a number of very good inventive ideas, but they don't have time to just pack this thing to the brim like they do with Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2, he finally got a sequel, and he's like, every second of this will be pure exhilaration. Oh, and I agree with that. But it's amazing how much is jam-packed into this thing. It right. really is impressive, like because you're right. I mean, they only have so much film to work with. Literally, that's sure. what's going on. But, dude, it is like just an, an one inventive gag after the other. Now, again, you don't know what you're in for until you get to Evil Dead 2. Yeah. But I can imagine first seeing this where it's like, how the fuck did they do this? And I got to be honest, even watching it now, I'm... St- 
it, it's one of the most inspiring films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. My, my only point is to say it really takes its fucking time. Sure. In some of these, sure. you know, like there's that one scene, the, uh, the initial scene of the deadite being killed yeah. and burnt in the fireplace is like, it's so long and it's so uncomfortable to watch it go on and on and on the scream that that thing lets out. Uh, it's crazy how long she holds that note, you know, like it's really insane. Like it's, it's actually comical how long that scene goes on. And I gotta be honest, I, I, am not sure it's a better movie than evil dead Two, but I found it scarier for the reasons that I just listed. You know, there's something more tactile and real and disturbing about this one. Oh yeah. Well, it's more of a horror movie. Sure. We'll get well, to, that too. Yeah. We'll get to, yeah. The conversation with evil dead Two is a little more complicated, but this is, occasionally um, um, flirting with the idea of comedic elements, but this is more of a horror film through and through. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is uh, directed at the fact that it does hold on the gross moments in a more specific and uncomfortable way, particularly with the eyes. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a great example where it's just one unbroken shot, slow thumbs going into the eyes, and then the scream just happens for way longer, like you would traditionally cut uh, before that. With most mainstream films, is it controversial to say that the makeup in this movie is better than the makeup in the sequel? Yeah, because I the makeup of the first girl that's possessed in the basement, the way that she sort of decays rapidly within forty seconds, essentially. Yeah, like I find to be way more harrowing than anything in part two. I get, but it's a different. It's going I get something it. very different because I agree with like with with Shelly banging on the on on the 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 you know the the cellar door. Just the way she looks with the eyes and that very classic peeking out look is really ugh, really uncomfortable. No, it's more like Exorcist level like disturbing makeup. Whereas yes. in the second one, because it's more cartoonish, because it's Looney Tunes, they go for the more George Romero zombie look. You know? Sure, sure. But even, not even oh, that movie. <laughs> that movie does a lot a lot of ridiculous fucking shit, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I. I would probably say it's a little better in Evil Dead 2, but only because it's more complicated and it still serves exactly its purpose. But if you're looking for something that's a little more that that will get under your skin and make you sick to your stomach. Yeah, this obviously this film does it better. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I see what you mean. But they're two different things. Sure. In my opinion. Totally. Yeah, they do feel like two completely different movies. Um, As I said, a lot of great ideas. Tree rapes a girl in this movie. Rapes a girl in the remake, too. Tree rape. Yeah, tree rape, bro. Uh, you know, there's uh, just like a lot of really cool action set pieces. There's a lot of cool, like quiet moments as well. Like the whole thing with Bruce Campbell and the girlfriend and the eyes. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they sort of like ex- exchange like knowing glances at one another. Mm-hmm. He's pretending really to keep sweet. his eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And she's and then it's it's uh, it's sort of uh, called back at the end when he's about to bury her and she pretends to be dead the deadite i guess pretends to be yes. dead and then she opens her eyes like there's like a lot of really like cool just camera stuff going on mm-hmm. um i i will say i i still think that the second one is better just because that is able to hold those ideas together in a more tight cohesive way whereas this in in the way that like george miller's mad max feels like 
um, an independent student film that didn't quite get there, you know? That one comes very... I rewatched it. It comes fucking close, man. I'm amazed that what... How, like, everything he's doing in that movie. Uh, this one feels a, a little more like like low budget than even that one. That, that's the distinction. Like Mad Max to me, the first one doesn't really feel low budget to me. Yeah. There's just a few like like execution moments that are a little like, eh, you could have tightened that up. Sure. And it's just, this feels like a, like a kid is in the woods with his buddies making a really fucked up horror film. But similarly here, it's like, like, how are you thinking of coming up with half of this stuff? Yeah. Like, why did you want to do a stop motion sequence that takes months to do? Sure. Dude. That's crazy. It's cr- There's so much claymation in that, though. I know. There's so much. The amount of details with, like, the splitting of the skin and the skull and just, like, the, the, the fake blood. It's uh, what, what bugs what? running the out. The bugs. Yeah, that's like, why are you doing half of this stuff? You don't need to do this, yeah. man. Yeah. But, but, oh, my God, is it wonderful. Oh, and again, just the, the fact that stop motion exists in this movie, again, just adding to that disturbing factor in, in you know, ways that are fairly unusual, too. I mean, a great example is where um, the girl gets stabbed in the in the ankle with the, the pencil, which. Mm. <sighs> no. And then she twists it. And then she fucking she t- I know. Twisting I know. The pencil, so and then the worse. pencel comes out and it's like, holy <laughs> shit, half the pencil is still <laughs> in her ankle. Fucking horrible. Ah, oh, it's the worst. That little detail of the pencil breaking. Holy shit. It's terrible. <laughs> It's fucked up. But then you get like the, the infection spreading in the stop motion sequence. That's oh, really good. Oh, word. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I made uh, the my my exposition for a murder short film, there's a scene with a map that's all stop motion in right. that movie. Yes. And there's scenes where like lines are being drawn. That's just Evil Dead. Right. That was the only thing that was in my head. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if I recall, that's also like 10 seconds of the movie too. And I'm sure that took you three years. Yeah, four years. Yeah. Four years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy how tedious you got to be doing that. You have a tr- again, it's just like to have this much patience but to know like like how little you have to work with. It's this must have been the most frustrating thing ever to to make ever. And I do know that Bruce Campbell to the actors on the remake were like, "Guys, I'm just telling you right now this is going to be the hardest movie you're ever going to make in your lives. Like it, yeah. it, this is it. It's going to end here, but just warning you now like this is going to suck." Right. You can just get through this. You'll be okay. Because I've been there. <laughs> you can just feel the exhaustion in this movie. But it does pay off. And I also think that exhaustion works very, very well to the themes of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. This is a this is a, a rough one. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, it's a rough one, you it's, know. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> For sure. Pretty, yeah. yeah, it's really good. It does feel like a first feature in many ways, mm-hmm. but like a really good place to start. Oh, my God, yeah. You know? Like again, and again, when you when you look at it, you're just like, "Wow, what is he gonna do next?" Mm-hmm. Jesus, and when you just give him a little bit more money, hundred percent. But uh, you can also, if you're a fan of the Spider-Man movies or even some of his '90s movies, you can spot a lot of the origins for some of his moves here too. And that's a fun little Easter egg hunt for you to go on. Oh my god, well, wait, Spider-Man two with the Doc Ock scene, yeah. in the hospital, yes, you know. Straight out of Evil Dead. Yeah, it's literally, and you even get the demon vision with the 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 tentacles. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's great. Uh, All right, that's Evil Dead One. Oh, oh, I did forget to say this because we've been talking about movie taglines a lot lately. So now, as part of my research, I write Uh, down the (laughs) tagline. So we got to do that bracket. Yeah. So I I just want to throw a couple of these out here. Uh, So here we go for Evil Dead. The tagline: They got up on the wrong side of the grave. Thumbs down, right? It works for 
Army of Darkness. They got up on the wrong side of the grave. Yeah, I would say a piss poor tagline. Yeah, to be honest it's a little with you, lame. it it were it I, I yeah, it doesn't work for this one. It gets better. Don't worry. Yes, I know. In in future movies. <laughs> All right, that's that's Evil Dead one. Let's move on to Evil Dead two. We're skipping right over Crime Wave on that one. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys. 1987's Evil Dead two stars Bruce Campbell once again. Sarah Barry and Dan Hicks, the lone survivor of an onslaught of flesh-possessing spirits, holes up in a cabin with a group of strangers while the demons continue their attack. Uh, this movie made a modest amount of money, $6 million on a $3.6 million budget. Here are the taglines. Pleasure, dot, 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 please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay i don't know what that says about the movie yeah I, <laughs> what is that what i is wrote that? down some other ones just because i hated that one so much <laughs> that's bad there's only one movie scarier than the evil dead dot 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 evil dead 2 <laughs> i saw that coming <laughs> well yeah it's the name of the Obviously. movie adam yeah <laughs> yeah those aren't very good this is my favorite one okay the comedy slash horror of the decade. Uh, <laughs> who was writing these? That's awful. Whoever was making the posters. The comedy slash horror of the decade. That's horrible. That's one of the worst ones I've ever heard. None of them getting on the bracket. No, unfortunately. That's no. too bad. No. Okay, Evil Dead 2. We did this on Why Is This a Thing many years ago now. Zach was still on that show. Yep. So that should... Was that like four years ago? I should tell you. It was the same year we did Pink Flamingos. That was 2017. Jesus Christ, I'm getting old. Yep. Five years ago. Evil Dead 2. We did it there. I was very confused about the timelines because I had not seen the original Evil Dead. Yeah. I was also confused because I was under the impression it was a zombie movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Remember we got in a big argument. I'm like, these are fucking zombies. And you're like, stop it, Nico. They're deadites. And I'm like, what's the difference? They are not. I would hope you would know by now they're not fucking zombies. Yeah, I understand the argument, I, but I don't get it. You know what I mean? Do you still think they're zombies? Uh... This is not an important conversation. We don't, need to ha- we don't need to they do this. They float around. I don't know. And they possess people. Are they? You can w- chop them up and they can still fuck with you. <laughs> they are demons. Okay. Are they more or less of zombies than the zombies from Return of the Living Dead? Less. They're su- Here's the problem. They're supernatural. Yeah, but so are those zombies. No, they're not. Those zombies fuck with you. Those no. zombies like make jokes and talk. No, but those and shit. are brought upon by like a, a man-made virus. There is a tangible human element to those things, whereas these are from another world. Right. That's the difference. I still think they like behave like zombies. This sort of functions as a zombie movie. <laughs> they come out of the grave. Like I don't know, but they don't really come out of the grave. They do. Some if you bury them, they'll come back up, but they don't and start that way. Well, same with zombies. No, but original. <laughs> No, but originally is what I'm saying. Like you're you're talking about the, the 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 what's the the stereotypical zombie is an undead thing. Sure, where it comes out of the grave. Whereas like this is not that at all. It's just like you could get possessed and boom, you're a dead eye. So are, you don't need to be dead. I have not seen Army of the Dead yet. Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness yet. I have seen Army of the Dead. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
so what's the deal? Like, what's their origin story? Where do they come from? Hell. Okay. <laughs> they come so from they are, they're, fucking hell. They're they, demons. They are demons that possess people. That's it. But were they ever people? Were they people that became the, demons? No, they're just fucking evil. It's evil. It is Ash fighting evil. Right. That's but what, it's evil dead. Yes, I know. They're dead things. I know. It's the title's weird. Well, the title is the movie. The title is accurate. They used it twice. It's true. Yeah, I know. They can be dead. But they don't start that way. Ash becomes a deadite in this one. Does he not? He doesn't die. He does, I guess. The dead is like a is like a phrase to to use use to describe the demons as well, even though they're not they're not I mean they're dead in the sense that they're not alive. This is the least important conversation yes, we I can know. possibly get into. But they're not it's zombies. Like, it's like Die Hard is a Christmas movie all over they're again. Not, There's no not, reason though. to do this. It's obvious. We know what it is. This is obvious to me. They're not zombies. Yeah, I, I, I know. They okay. are not undead. We had the same argument five years ago. There's no need to rehash Christ. it. We're older and wiser. Doing the same thing we were doing. But older and wiser <laughs> nonetheless. We're older. We're not wiser. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you want to explain what happened with the opening? Because I, 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 again, remember being very confused by the first five minutes of this movie when I watched it five years ago. The opening of this movie is a spiritual recap. It would have been a little bit better had it had all the same like cast characters or someone who looked like them generally. But what what you get with this opening... First, like five to ten minutes of Evil Dead Two is, you know, a spiritual synopsis of the first movie. Mm. It doesn't really matter, though. Mm. It's just to say, like, this is kind of where we are now, and the story. Well, they cut some corners. They don't necessarily like change anything. They just remove stuff. Yeah, that's why I say in spirit, that's what it is. Right. But the Evil Dead Two story doesn't actually start until Ash is getting thrown through the trees, and the reason this happened was because they wanted to explain to the audience that this is where we are and they wanted to use footage from the first movie, but they could not do that because they did not have the rights to their own movie. So they had to remake it sort of in part. The original was a new line production, I think. And then the new one was uh, produced by Dilo De Laurentiis, Dino De Laurentiis. And uh, yeah, so that's why it's, it's a bit confusing because you start and you're like, oh, Ash is going back to the cabin. And it's weird. Like, why the fuck would he do that? Why would he? After everything he went through last time, why is he going back <laughs> with this girl? Uh, but really, yeah, it's it's meant to be a recap, uh, but it sort of serves as a retcon. Um, and then, yeah, again, like he's cutting the girl's head off within two minutes. So I think if you're seeing this movie for the first time, you're like, holy crap. Why is this happening yeah, in the prologue? Does make for its own very strange and bananas experience that strangely yes. does kind of work yes and fit like even if, if you didn't want to watch the first one you could just watch this and it would actually service itself pretty well yeah and yeah it gets you going right out of the gate because it doesn't waste any time for or ash to chop off this girl's head with a shovel yes so that's that's a whole thing um yeah evil dead 2 man i don't know what i said about it when we were talking about it initially five years ago i think it's i think it's kind of a masterpiece you're not alone in thinking that (laughs) i think it's like one of my favorite films of all time one of the best films i've ever seen i'm okay saying that yeah evil dead 2 here's what i love about raimi and (laughs) you know it's it's clear to me when you watch evil dead 2 this is a movie about style in some ways right he is a maximalist Mm -hmm. in in the truest sense of the word but 
He is not a maximalist in the same way that, say, Tony Scott is a maximalist. Not a maximalist in the way that uh, Spike Lee is a maximalist. Whereas those are guys, both of which I love, and I love certain movies that both of them have made, uh, sometimes distract you with their style and take you out of the movie with your style. Whereas Raimi, the style is the movie. Yes. Do you know what I mean? The style is not acting in opposition toward the movie. And yeah, no. Like even a, uh, someone like Steve McQueen, for example, who I love, who I think has made bona fide masterpieces. Sometimes it's like, oh man, you're really trying to be the own star of your, your the the star of your own movie on this one. Like you're really trying to show off, and like look at me, I went to really fancy British film school. Uh, and sometimes, like you know, you feel the style kind of smothering the movie. <laughs> Whereas here it's like they just strip everything bare. It literally, in this case, Dino De Laurentiis was like, just make the original movie again, but let's just add some cool set pieces in there and give you a lot more money. And just keep it fucking simple, man. We're going back to the cabin. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're going bigger, but we're, we're not going that much bigger. And, you know, just make this movie about the style make the camera the villain of the movie <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's yeah. literally what this is right the camera is the bad guy not just like in the beginning of jaws where the camera is from the shark's point of view no the entire time the camera is the antagonist of the movie <laughs> it's just chasing after bruce campbell through those crevices and, and through the woods oh it's great just fucking with bruce campbell <laughs> yep. so i i feel like that's why Raimi always works and that's why i feel like i'm never taken out of the movie because the style is the point it's the it's so immersive i mean you get into it right away and it doesn't like break that sense of continuity it's very consistent in the outrageous style but also um the style is very craftsman oriented like a lot of those examples you were talking about like it's like they're just doing it because i don't know it's a nice flair i mean i i should give them more credit that's not really always true but it does sometimes feel that way it's like did you need to do that what did that move mean right whereas like there's a lot even though like the style in this movie is crazy it always seems to serve a story purpose and it always or at least a visceral purpose if not story purpose. that's fine though. right it's yeah. fine like if you're going if you, go for the emotion and and make me feel the correct thing in this moment and i don't really care which... yeah, but, but there's not much story which is the key right so you can't ruin the story if there's not much of it like no. th- that that was my whole thing with quick and the dead i not to spoil my thoughts on that movie too much but like that is allowed to be a sam raimi gonzo vehicle yeah i know because the plot is so fucking stupid yeah like it is so stripped down where we're just like we're gonna do high noon 20 times in one movie we're gonna do this mexican standoff 20 times uh and similarly here it's just like we don't really care about where the deadites came from we don't really care about the interpersonal dynamics of these people like we, let's just fucking get to it, you know? Yeah, it's a contained, like, let. how do we get out of here kind of story. So and, I can't be annoyed by it. No, but you're, all you're doing really is just constructing these in, these set pieces and these moments within this, you know, small, simple story. But it is it is strangely effective for me. I don't know. When it kind of cuts out the bullshit and it just places you in the cabin with these people trying to figure out, like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? Because this is incomprehensible. Like, not that the movie's incomprehensible, but what's happening to us feels incomprehensible. And you really feel that stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then it's also really funny. Oh, yeah. Super funny. It creates a whole subgenre of movie, essentially. Yeah. You know, it creates a, a tone that... I mean, there were comedic horror movies. We just mentioned Return of the Living Dead was around the same time. 
that's more bleak than this though way more bleak than this i think that's right yeah i think that's right like that ending in turn of the living dead is upsetting whereas this is fun yeah and i i think it actually makes more sense than the tone of the original again i really enjoyed the original more than i thought i was gonna Mm -hmm. uh but you know these are beings the deadites that don't really have a motivation other than to fuck with ash right like there's there's not really any sort of rhyme or reason to the evil other than we are amused by it but that's what makes them so fucking evil right (laughs) they just don't care sure but (laughs) therefore the tone works better when it's emulating bugs bunny Mm -hmm. than emulating texas chainsaw massacre oh yeah you know what i'm saying yeah Yeah, and the first one at times kind of has that feel for sure and this one yeah goes more for three stooges right which is important well the three stooges thing is also a major so if you look at the credits if you go on like imdb look at the credited actors you'll see several people um uh, credited as fake Shemp, mm-hmm. which is a term that uh, Sam Raimi coined in reference to Shemp Howard from the Three Stooges. Uh, and it's a term that he uses now time and time again uh, for actors that are used essentially as body doubles when the original actor is like not available or in the case of Shemp Howard, uh, he died and they had to like use a, a guy that whose back of the head relatively was uh, similar to Shemp Howard, right? So there's just a lot of, like, carnage in his movies. Uh, at the end of Darkman, Bruce Campbell is credited as Final Shemp. Yeah, that's right. So, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's clearly uh, very much in the spirit of old-school sto- slapstick Three yep. Stooges, except what if the Three Stooges bled when they were hit in the head by a brick, yeah, you know? Or, or what if they weren't hit by, you know, a fire hydrant of water, but, like, a whole geyser of blood coming out of the wall. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Translated. It's like the perfect translation of those ideas into a horror movie. Yeah. You know, and again, rides that line beautifully of being genuinely unnerving at times and then also being really ridiculously funny, which is, again, it's it's kind of a hard movie for me to sell to people. Unfortunately, I wish I could feel better about showing this movie to like, you know, my brothers or, 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 you know, or some of my my friends who aren't as into movies. But it's such a. It's such a sensory overload that it can be difficult, even though it is legitimately one of my favorite movies. It's really unlike anything. That's that the problem. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> any movie like that, that, that that's pro- possibly the challenge. Where it's like, guys, I'm just going to warn you, this is you've never seen anything quite like this before. That's the challenge. Yeah, you know? right. It's God. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it puts you also, as I said, like in the point of view of the camera, um, of the deadites th- through the camera, I should say. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't let up. No, you know, it doesn't. Like no, this guy is just constantly just fucked with over and over again from the first two minutes. That's what I wanted to say. It's a sort of a through line through. I think all of Sam Raimi's films, but they just do not stop. They're some of the most entertaining films I've ever seen. Just they're like, short. They're not. Yeah, they're short, and they they never fucking let go. And the way they hold on to you is just oh my god. Well, I think he it's said exhausting. this once. Like all movies should be ninety minutes or less. Yeah, and in in the case of Dark Man. The studio forced him to extend the movie because it was too short. You ever heard that before? No. He turned in a cut that was 87 minutes and they're like, no, movies have to be at least 90. He's like, no, they need to be under 90. Mm. Just a pure entertainer, this guy. I love it. He wanted there to be less of his movie because he doesn't want want to bore the audience. (laughs) 
But I love that he's still committed to just making these things these really interesting expressions of his vision. Yeah, he's not he's not cynical about it. Is the thing because that sounds like something cynical that like a studio head would say. But it's like, yeah, you know, make it short. Don't bore the audience. But like, like do your best, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Make something that they'll remember. Mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, Evil Dead Two. Yeah, I agree. Masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece of the form. Like, wouldn't change anything. Wouldn't change a damn thing about it. Every wacky fucking move in this movie is felt. It works. It's interesting. It's it's totally Sam Raimi. Yes. And just iconic as fuck, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like one of the more like you don't know how iconic this movie actually is until you see it. So. Even the poster is iconic. Yeah. And that is an image that doesn't appear in the movie. I know. But it, you know, the skull with the eyeballs is this. Yeah, very iconic thing. Even that image, perfect balance of like a little silly but really creepy at the same time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, because he's like s- smiling at you. Yeah, yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah. And then you get Army of Darkness, which is just full camp. No horror whatsoever. I need to watch that. It's so good. I need to do it. Okay. That's Evil Dead too. I think we'll be a, a, a contender today, I would say. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Dark Man. 1990, starring Liam Neeson, Francis McDormand, Colin Friels, and Larry Drake. A brilliant scientist left for dead returns to exact revenge on the people who burned him alive. Big hit. Strangely. Made $48 million on a $14 million budget in 1990. Big movie. Right after Batman, Tim Burton's Batman, I should say. Not a lot of superhero movies out there. And it seemed like the public was hungry for them, although we did not know how insatiable that appetite would soon become. Yeah. Who is Dark Man? <laughs> Find out this August. Okay. Not bad. He yeah, could do worse. All right. Yeah. I'm all right with that. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Dark Man. Dark Man. So this, this uh, here's the origin very briefly. Uh, Sam Raimi wanted to adapt The Shadow. As a movie, the okay. the uh, short story series turned this, yeah. uh, radio series from like the 30s and 40s. Uh, could not get the rights to make the shadow. Then he tried making Batman. No one would let him make Batman. So he's like, fuck you. I'll write my own superhero. And so he did. He wrote Darkman. Uh, it was based on a short story uh, that he wrote as an homage to universal monster films from the 30s. And I think it is very telling, not only in the storytelling, but also in the look of Darkman. Uh, that is just the Invisible Man, essentially, with a lot more bodily harm. Visible Man meets Frankenstein, basically, sure. is what it is. Right. Yep. I think now you think of it as a superhero movie just because it's called Darkman. Uh, it doesn't really play as such <laughs> when you watch it today. No. No, it feels like a pulpy... I mean, maybe a type of comic book. It's very comic booky, yes. Extremely comic booky, is certainly with its visual style, but doesn't feel like a superhero film. It feels like a monster movie. Right. It is more Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. You know, or Phantom of Paradise or something like that. Everything's ripping off Phantom of Paradise. Let's just be honest. Totally. I wish more people ripped off Phantom of Paradise. (laughs) Yeah. It it plays like a both a a universal monster movie and also now a Liam Neeson revenge movie. And it was kind of like early to the party on both of those things. You know, like Liam Neeson had no idea what was coming. Yeah, but Raimi kind of identified this. You know, this sort of like action star in him buried in Oscar Schindler, you know? Well, there's a fun fact that he it was originally going to be Bill Paxton in the role. Cause, well, f- yes. Because he came in and he did a great reading, apparently. And they, he was like, we're probably going to go with Bill. But then 
Liam Neeson comes in. Well, no, Bill, crush- pa- Bill Paxton, oh, who, turned was, him off. who was friends with Liam Neeson at the time, yeah. told him about this movie. That's right, yeah. And then Liam went and auditioned and got the got part. Got the part, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. Uh, Raimi did want Bruce Campbell, though, initially. Studio didn't like it. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I like Liam Neeson in this movie, but I actually think Bruce Campbell might have been a little bit better. I disagree. I think he's too handsome. I don't well that that's part of why it works. Make him ugly. Well, I don't know. I have some thoughts about his performance. Gary Oldman was also tossed around. I thought that would have been a very interesting choice. He would have done great, I think. Yeah. Here's what I want to say about Neeson. And I'll I'll read the Sam Raimi quote about him, right? Uh he was selected because quote, he was a monster with the soul of a man. <laughs> and I needed an actor who could do that beneath a lot of makeup. And he also said that he liked Gary Cooper, uh, Neeson's old Gary Cooper charisma. <laughs> okay. Watch the new Taken movies. Not one. I'm talking about specifically two and three. Oh, God. You know? Watch, uh, even Love Actually to a certain extent. Watch a movie, not for the action sequences, but for the sequences where Liam's just like hanging out with a kid, <laughs> trying to be like an average dad. He's so bad in those scenes. <laughs> and this is what I I think like Raimi tapped into that no director has quite been able to tap into. Similar to how, remember when like Arnold Schwarzenegger would make like just like average, like he would make twins or something and he yeah. would just be like playing a guy. Or, or yeah, I, well, I guess Jingle I, All the Way is the perfect example of this. Yeah, I was going to say like like this this guy who is like sincerely trying to be the father figure or the best friend or some, something a little more endearing than let me shoot a gun at 50,000 people. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cause, cause I, I do give both of these guys credit cause they, when they do that, they commit. They're the man that can hold the gun. No question but, about it. But they can't escape that persona is the idea. Totally. But so because Arnold was the biggest star in the world in the nineties, he would get cast in all these movies, just playing a dad, trying yeah. to buy a, an action figure for his son. <laughs> and you're like, why is this man, why is this hulking monster of a being <laughs> with an Austrian accent hanging out in suburbia, you know, and you would never be able to buy it. Like he just doesn't work. He's a, he's a robot. He's a, or in the case of Liam, he is a monster. He's literally a universal monster. This guy yeah. to tap into that here where he's this hulking lanky weirdo yeah. for most of the movie with like obscene burn marks on his face mm-hmm. with no lips. Um, First of all, he works very well in that regard because his voice is so great and his yeah. eyes are so great. Yeah. But then he wears the skin suits. Then he puts the masks on. Then he is pretending to be an average person. He is disguised as an average person. And like those are the scenes where it works. I know a lot of times like it's another actor literally playing him in those scenes, but he works as a guy like trying to emulate another guy's voice, trying to pretend to be human, specifically the scene where he goes on a date with Francis McDormand at the carnival and he says, take the fucking elephant. Take the fucking elephant. It's like, whoa, like this guy is not of this planet. He's scary. He's very scary. Yeah. And, and, and this is something that I don't think any director since has tapped into with Liam Neeson. No, and I wonder what that is, because he's way more convincing in something like this than, you know, Christ, 
way more convincing than Qui Gon Jinn. I'll tell you that. Totally, uh, <laughs> he's actually not bad. He's okay. He's yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, but no, like I, I do see what you mean when he's trying to be like, like a lovable teddy bear, particularly in Love Actually. It's like no, no, just look at you, bro. Right. Just look at you. And <laughs> but it works here because this is a movie about a guy that is. Uh, that is unsuccessful at in, uh, at uh, emulating other people and how other sure, people yeah, behave. Yeah, yeah, I you agree. know, you look at him too. It's like there's something about the casting with just like his like the, first of all the way he behaves, but also the way he looks that would apply to this character. That's you know kind of amazing, but sucks at the same time. Yeah, and that sort of it, it informs his tragedy a little bit more. So I, yeah, it is really good casting. Yeah, my my point about Bruce Campbell though is that Bruce Campbell wears the same makeup in uh, Army of Darkness. Okay. Almost identical makeup. Uh, sometimes kind of a similar character, just a little goofier. Uh-huh. And he's he's really good. Yeah. He's really good in that. Yeah, I know. I, again, the look to me is not... I mean, he's not schlubby enough. He's not enough of a loser. Like, Bruce Campbell isn't a loser. Bruce, Bruce Campbell... Is the is an action figure. And I, I, I feel like in a certain superhero context, that would work. Again, this isn't really a traditional superhero. I do like Bruce Willis. I, I agree, but I do like uh, Bruce Campbell rather as as a loser. He plays a good loser in Ash versus Evil Dead. So okay, I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Well, but, at that older though. Sure, in a way, but like he, but even Army of Darkness, he still plays the 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 loser who manages to be king. Hail to the king, baby! Right. It's just yeah. It, there's something just I don't know. To 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 uh, I. I just want Bruce Campbell and everything. Well, I think that's, that's what I'm getting. That's at. fair enough. I just want Bruce. I just want Bruce Campbell to play Forrest Gump. Well, he is in care. this, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, but, that is, uh, that is one of the great laughs at the end of the movie, where you know, Darkman goes in narration, "I could be anyone," and then you discover that he is currently Bruce Campbell, and it's like, "No, you can't. You're Bruce Campbell." You're, you're trying to be inconspicuous by disguising as Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I know. You're definitely, you cannot be anyone. Who ages very well, by the way. One of the things I want to say about Bruce Campbell. Totally. He still looks good. Looks incredible. Yeah. Stays in shape, too, is the key. I know. Works out. Takes care of himself. I know. Eats his, eats his veggies, you know? <laughs> eats his veggies. That totally. Yeah. Uh, Dark Bed, what do you want to say about it? Oh, Rocks. Awesome Fucking movie. awesome movie. Fucking awesome movie. Just a banger of a movie. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. This movie is working. Uh, yeah, it doesn't stop. It doesn't let up. The, the scenes where he's running across the roof are just the most propulsive, fucking perfectly edited shit I've ever seen. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it just rocks, man. And then yeah, at, at the same time, not only just being like a wacky, but, but this movie's fucking insane. Crazy movie. Like like the, the scenes where it like... Th- now, this is, th- this is something I, I will actually agree with you on in, in regards to... Uh, the, the Liam Neeson thing. There is something so perfect about the way Liam Neeson plays the scenes where he's being raided by um, uh, Robert G. Durant and his, and his gang. And how he's, <laughs> Robert G. Durant. <laughs> yeah. full, it's his full name. Uh, <laughs> his middle name is literally G. Uh, but just like this, the, the, <laughs> the return of Durant. <laughs> I love Durant. Durant's the man. <laughs> Robert G. Durant. Yeah, it's not. It's not exactly like the Empire is back. You know, or the Emperor is back in the Star Wars movies. You know, it's not yeah. quite that caliber of <laughs> Robert of combat. G. Durant. Robert's back. Durant's in the. Holy shit! Neeson's gone, but who cares? <laughs> Durant. Durant's back. back. <laughs> oh my god. Uh 
I, I, I cannot get enough of the scenes where they're they're throwing Liam's head through the the the, the glass and then yeah. di- dipping his head in the vat or something. Like when he rather when he grabs in the the thing and is he gets electrocuted or the scenes where he's losing his mind, and just getting angry. Yeah, like with the pink elephant scene, right? Which is it's such a good scene. One of the greatest scenes ever filmed. Is that the best scene of his career? <laughs> it's that and one more. From what Schindler's it, List, Sam Raimi or, or oh Liam Neeson. Uh, Liam, I'm talking about Liam. Best thing, best thing Sam Raimi ever did was the laughing scene in Evil Dead Two. But what is the best but, but, acted scene of Liam Neeson's career? Just the the the, the, <laughs> the quick pan to Liam Neeson screaming with the head <laughs> cocked is, oh my god. <laughs> what? Well, that's another thing he taps into the the quiet rage that this guy has underneath him. You know, I want the pink elephant. Yeah. But that it's is just, a vibe, that's a zone that he made an entire second career yeah, out of. I know. And was totally untapped in 1990. It's crazy that he's, like, he's such a good yeller. Yeah, no, he's a great yeller. Oh, my God, yeah. And this entire movie is just him screaming his head off, yelling, Julie, and stuff like that. Right. Uh, such a silly explanation, too. They cut off the nerve endings of a person. Yeah, Which I means they no longer feel pain, but he can still walk around. Yeah, I know. I'm like, well, how do you... Yeah, exactly. It's how like, do you do anything? You can't feel anything? That's... But that makes him much more angry because the brain is hungry for stimulation. It's comic book bullshit. I don't care. Yeah. I just don't care. Um... Yeah, uh, maybe it was Schindler's List because, you know, he does Schindler's List and then they say, oh, he's a big, respected, prestigious actor and sure. stuff like that, you know. But, you know, there's there's a universe where he never does Schindler's List and he does more Darkmans and, you know, I don't know. Maybe we would have gotten taken much earlier. There's also that. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would have wanted him as Batman, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure I would want him as the sort of down the middle superhero, you know, comic booky guy. But in these sort of like left of center kind of, you know, horror influence, but not straight horror uh, t- types of superhero comic book movies, I-, I-, I think he's very effective, you know, just because he's creepy. He's kind of a creepy guy and he kind of has like a, a weird body. For, the, for this kind of movie, you it's, know, he's startling. Yeah, he's sure. a startling man. Yeah, just something about him. Like there's a, there's that there's an attractiveness. He's a handsome guy, but there's something off about this guy at the same time. Like, sure, I don't know what it is about you, bro. I think he would he should play more villains. I think Liam Neeson. Oh, totally. Should, yeah, he's he's well, he's great in Widows for that reason. Yeah, he's really good in that. Very good in that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, but even like like we're just playing something someone slightly broken to it always works. I mean, like a walk among the tombstones. He's really good. In That's that. a really good movie. Yeah, underrated movie. Yeah. Super underrated. Yeah, that movie rocks. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the raminess of it all though. Uh, this is his uh, this is his first post Evil Dead. Yep, this yeah. he made this right after Evil Dead Two was still on the studio's good side, <laughs> you know, and they just let him go hog wild with the effects, it, it, like. To say these effects are dated is yeah. disrespectful to calendars, you know? Like, sure. it is so dated. I, again, I don't... No, I love it, I don't but, give like, a shit. but like, the, it, I'm a weirdo, it, yeah. It, it kind of works for me for just, like, like the it works for the janky feel of the movie. Like, the movie is emotionally janky, so why not make it somewhat visually janky? I'm okay with that. But the matting effects, yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. They're quite terrible, but whatever. They use a shot in this movie of synapses that was used later on in Spider-Man. Did you notice that? I did not. Hmm. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it is also the era of like RoboCop and Total Recall too. Where it feels exactly like RoboCop. It's so RoboCop, isn't yeah. it? I just want to say right now, Red Letter Media did a review of this movie and they made, we're, we're starting to sound just like that review because they do say the exact same thing. Okay. They, they, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's so, it's very RoboCop. Yeah. Like, to a T. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm down for that whole era. I'm down for that aesthetic. Uh, I, I just thought it was very notable that it, it is, is really bad in its special effect, especially that helicopter sequence Well, when where you're like, oh, fucking awesome. We're doing a helicopter shootout. They, they do use a helicopter at points, but yeah. then there's lots of shots where they do not use a real helicopter. Yeah, with like rear projections and green screen. <laughs> yeah, and yeah that stuff's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Uh, very off-putting, though. Again, also really funny. A lot of tonal shifts. Sam Raimi, a master of the tonal shift. I agree. Uh, when Liam is like, uh, uh, oh, look at the dancing freak. Should I wear a funny hat? And he puts the hat on and starts dancing around. That's a very Evil Dead 2 kind of scene where it's like, it's really disturbing and upsetting, but it's also hilarious. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I love that that moment. Good stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's batting practice for Raimi, who would perfect this formula 10 years later and, and change the culture. But does feel like a precursor to those spider-man movies in a lot of ways yeah because these action sequences despite some of the janky effects are fantastic i'm just i, I don't care man they like i i go back to that roof scene because i did rewatch this i'm like this scene is so just pitch perfect i wouldn't change a thing about this the manhole cover when he sticks the guy out of the mm, manhole ted Raimi, yeah oh that's ted Raimi. yeah wow just a great Raimi flourish just yeah. classic Raimi. it's really good in that uh, I kind of wanted it to be more violent, though. <laughs> it feels violent, though. Like, right. Yeah, visually, yeah, you not, no, not as much blood and guts. Like, I technically, Quicken the Dead's way more violent. Totally is. But this one feels violent with just how insane, insane it is. Again, how you're constantly being attacked by the camera as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie rocks. Yeah. I love it. It's so underrated, so underseen now at this point, I'm sure, by people of our generation highly recommend you revisit this one because this is not one really discussed when we no. talk about early superhero movies I, I underrated is is it's a word i would say underseen is more accurate because i think everyone who sees this movie is like mm, dark man yeah i know i know these other movies are good but yeah have you seen dark man yeah i haven't seen dark man what is it also, they made a movie called Dark Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other. The title is a little. Weird. It's interesting. Apparently, the Coen Brothers are in this film somewhere. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Apparently, they have a cameo driving a car that like Dark Man jumps over. Oh, nice. I need to watch that and see if they're they're actually driving. Yeah, frame by frame. That's yours, a Pruder film. <laughs> My Zapruder film. Are those the Coens? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on. We go to 1995 now. We're skipping over Army of the Dead. Sorry, Army of Darkness. Much worse film, you idiot. <laughs> hey, Oscar winning film. Oh, yeah, that's right. Did it actually win an Oscar? How did that work? I don't know what that was. Oscar poll winning film. My synapses just stopped working at that point. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I have zoned out. 90% of that show that, I don't remember anything that happened That show was something else My friend <laughs> Whoa but I hey, don't know if it was the beers or what it was Chris Rock made a very recent joke To help his buddy Yeah well he Dave helped Chappelle get out of a similar pinch yeah. Dude that guy got his ass beat As did he should have Did Fuck you see that the guy. photo yes, afterward like, Yeah it's like Raimi-esque yeah, yeah. It was. That was crazy 
crazy. Bruce Campbell-esque, just fighting his own hand. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe that happened. Yeah, that was wild. I'm I sure. guess it just opens season for comics now. I guess. Fuck the comics. You can just hit a comic. I guess you can. It's slap a comic day, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. How does it feel, Nico? To what? To <laughs> that, that your favorite thing in the world, everyone's just beating the shit out. I'm just happy it's not slap a podcaster day. Eh. I'm just happy it's not open season on us yet. Yeah, let's not have any guests on. <laughs> <laughs> just not talk about ivermectin anytime soon. <laughs> 1995 is The Quick and the Dead, written by Simon Moore, uh, also the writer of Traffic. The uh, Steven Soderbergh movie Traffic and the BBC miniseries Traffic, which the movie was based on. Starring, oh boy, <clears throat> Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe. No way they could afford anyone else, right? That's no, it, right? That's, it's, that's, it's, it. it's I mean, that's half your budget right there. It's a lot of. We're stacked actors. already, right? Yeah. Oh, no, let's just tack on a young Leo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. While that's we're right, at that's it. That's right, yeah. And then. <laughs> You know what? Actually, hold that thought. <laughs> Let's just throw in for shiggles and ha-has. Tobin Bell, Roberts Blossom, Keith David, and Gary Sinise in like a 60-second role. Oh, and Lance Hendrickson. Don't forget about my Lance Hendrickson. Lance fucking Hendrickson. What is going on? <laughs> this is a stacked cast. The most stacked ensemble of the 90s, maybe. Yeah. Crave. Maybe Boogie Nights is the only one ahead of it. It is a crazy cast. Cool cast, by the way. Really fucking cool cast. Hackman, Russell Crowe, DiCaprio, Sharon Stone. A female gunfighter returns to a frontier town where a dueling tournament is being held, which she enters in an effort to avenge her father's death. Mm. Uh, Movie did not make any money. No. Grossed $18 on a $32 million budget. That's not good. Here it is, Adam. This is my favorite of the Raimi taglines. In this town, you're either one or the other. The quick and the dead. That's good. Not bad, right? That's good. Yeah. Uh, this is, again, mid-90s. Raimi is, uh, you know, is unfamiliar with uh, with westerns and, like, more prestige Hollywood fare. Has only made, like, sci-fi movies, essentially. It's not really a western in the traditional sense, though. Well, this is what I wanted to say. Um... It, it is around the same time as Unforgiven, Tombstone, Wyatt Earp, uh, Dances with Wolves had just come out. Yeah. Um, Westerns were big again in the 90s, yeah. Westerns were big. They were going through this renaissance. And, you know, I, I think at the time people thought like, oh, fucking another one of these. Like like Gene Hackman is literally playing Little Bill it's again. Like the, yeah, I we'll get on my thoughts uh, on this film. But yeah, like the Gene Hackman role, like, even though he's good in the movie, it's just the same character. Same character, same right? Character. And also Sharon Stone at the time, I don't think like she was really being taken seriously, uh, particularly after Basic Instinct. Uh, but so I think at the time it was sort of lumped in with these other ones. But what makes this movie different from all of those other movies that I just listed is you can have seen a hundred westerns and enjoyed it. Or seen zero westerns and enjoyed it. Like it works on both levels. It works as like a real cool deconstruction, sort of postmodern mm. western, and, and like all its illusions. 
Or it just works as like a fun action movie with a with a cool cast. I think it works more as that. Right. As 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 far as like the deconstruction of a western, it's fine. It's not really what I'm there for. I I got all that out of watching Unforgiven. I don't really need to see another one. Sure. Um it's you know, it wasn't loved when it came out. Yeah. Over the years it's kind of been regarded as one of Raimi's better films surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't love it. No, I do love it. Oh, hell yeah. I okay, great. Really oh, great. Loved the yeah, movie. it's fucking awesome. I did need to rewatch it because it's like it's been. I like, had never seen it. This is the first re- time I'd seen it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This is one of those movies that played on AMC when, when AMC would have the movie facts yeah. a lot and you would read like, oh, that wagon over there is the, the Oldsmobile that 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 he put the that he put the wagon over and stuff like that. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I didn't really get it. I perhaps wasn't into westerns as much, but I didn't like dislike it. But I rewatched it, and Jesus Christ! Again, this movie's so goddamn entertaining, man. Mm-hmm. Just nonstop, just like I eat every single like frame of this movie up, and it is so Sam Raimi. It is. It's it's a comic book. No, it is. Th- this feels like a pulpy comic book, m- m- more so than than a traditional western. I was sort of able to watch it as like, you know, something that may- maybe Alan Moore m- might have written, you know, his his version of a western, a revisionist western, because it's yeah, it's just this pulpy movie where everybody's a character, mm-hmm. every like everyone's a memorable character in this movie, even like the weird supporting characters. Well, yeah, that's the secret of the movie is that you have to keep everyone's interest. While playing the same scene over and over again. Because there's like no story, but... No, there is zero story. I mean, there's a couple, again, like offhanded allusions to old westerns. I mean, uh, there's a subplot involving Sharon Stone's father that is revealed towards the end. And like, it's it's all very like tried and true territory by this point. It's Yeah, and it's a small... It's not like Fury Row where like the, the world is, is developed more as the story goes along, even though it's very simple. You still gleam a lot from the world and the characters. Whereas this one is just... Very contained. You know the stakes 10 minutes in. You and, know who the bad guy is. You know who the good guy is. You know who's going to end up at the end. But this is what I wanted to say. It's like no story but all character. Sure. And that's kind of what saves it for me in that in that way. It was like I don't really – I like this very efficient, strict structure that they're in and we kind of – we get it. Some might say gimmicky. I mean it's kind of yeah, a gimmicky, sure, sure. silly structure. But, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm okay with it when the craft is this good and when the performances are this good and when the characters are so are so memorable. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, just make a make a really small contained western like this with just Jesus Christ, like some of the more entertaining gunfights ever. I forgot how great these gunfights actually were, man. Yeah, the Keith David stuff is so good. God, that whole damn. scene is great. I mean, the whole sequence when it's that's a when Hackman and him are talking to each other. Yeah, that is a frightening scene. Oh. Seriously, is yeah. honestly. Yeah. No, it's like uh, this is a, a a bad point of reference, but the the Negan scene in uh, in Walking Dead, you know, the baseball bat scene in Walking Dead, like, uh, yeah, just like. This guy, you don't know the depths of of his evil and his viciousness, and uh, yeah, the very public setting of all of it, yeah, it's it's awesome, and and Keith David's awesome in it. But that's yeah, the thing, David's like, awesome. yeah, all of these guys, even though you know they're red shirts, you know they're gonna die because you you know where the movies go. You can yeah. basically predict who's gonna make it out alive and who's gonna die and how the ending goes. Um, and so. Yeah, you've got to find a way to keep us engaged. You've got to find a way to like give us stakes, knowing <laughs> yeah. that Sharon Stone isn't going to fucking die in any one of these duels. But it feels that way. Like sure. you, you know it, but you do feel like like what but maybe she'll die. I don't know. Yeah. The movie does a great job at, at building up that tension. I just think that's because Sam Raimi's such a good, you know, visual storyteller. Right. Like, even though yeah, I know Russell Crowe's probably going to win this gunfight. 
he could die. Sure. Maybe he could die. Sure. Sure. And as you said, uh, just as a work of, of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, as a, yeah, as, in terms of technique and form. And mm-hmm. it, it is, uh, it, it makes Sergio Leone look like Kevin Smith, you know, like it's just, let's take all the great parts of a Leone movie <laughs> and let's extend it for 90 minutes. But that's what Evil Dead does, right? Yeah. Let's, let's take the best parts of Night of the Living Dead and make it an entire movie. <laughs> you know, let's take the best parts of High Noon. Let's take the one Mexican standoff, the one shootout and make it the whole thing. Make the movie about a tournament of shootouts. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and you could just hang so many interesting ideas off of that, visual ideas, when you're unencumbered by story and character. Mm-hmm. And so that, like, I think there, there, it's, it's, uh, it's a fine line between what Sam Raimi's doing and, you know, all style and no substance. I don't mean to imply that his characters are given the short end of the stick because of how much fun he's having behind the camera. I just think he simplifies it to the point where he he has the freedom to do other sort of fun stuff. That's true. Does that make sense? I think so. But I, I also, you know, have to say that I don't think this movie ever loses a sense of heart. You know, sure. there's a tremendous amount of feeling going on with Sharon Stone's character that is... Uh, does culminate in a really upsetting scene. Yes. Like that scene just, it's quick, but yeah. it works. I'm not sure she can always sell it. I, I think she's probably the weakest part of the movie. If I had to yeah. pick one detail, one little nitpick. I, su- I suppose, but maybe only by default for me. Yeah. Because everyone else is so good. Because you have Hackman and DiCaprio just doing shit in the margins. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I, I don't mind her at all. Honestly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she's kind of yeah. I mean, she's the man, she's the woman with no name. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Very very little dialogue. Yeah, but it works. Yeah, this was only two years after Hackman did Unforgiven, uh, which that, is crazy we, that he did it that soon. Yeah, it is strange. Yeah, because it is identical, isn't it? I mean, he's not the sheriff, but you know. Yeah, it's like if Watson <laughs> Phoenix won the Oscar for Joker and then he played Venom two years later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he played the Riddler, right? That would do it. Exactly, that would do it. It's like really you're going back to the well here, but yeah. I mean it's Hackman. So. But he's so, yeah, he's so good. Like even when he's phoning it in, he's great. <laughs> I don't know. If he's. Not- I don't even know if he's phoning it in here, but I don't imagine like he's giving that much effort. Well, <laughs> you would think no, but that's even the scene where he shoots Leo is just I don't know. Yeah. It's hard for me to buy that he's phoning it in at that point. It's a great scene. Or where he shoots the guy who's running out of town. You have twenty seconds to get out of town, and then yeah. he just fucking times up. It. Yeah. He's eating it up, man. He there. I know he seems to be having too good of a time to be phoning it in. Right, dude. Leo's great in this movie too. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, kind of the the highlight of the movie in a way. Yeah, and he hasn't like really changed. Like he still has that same energy that he had. Like yeah. he's always gonna work for me as uh, as a character that that's five years younger than he actually is. <laughs> like I always like when he's playing younger, he's, he's more suited, you know, I will say it, he's great in the movie, but I was like, I, I don't know how old you're supposed to be or how young you're supposed to be. Right. But like you, you just kissing Sharon Stone really freaked me out. <laughs> right. I was like, no, no. Yeah. It was like, I'm, I'm convinced you're 13 years old. Yeah. I should be like, hypothetically speaking, Leonardo DiCaprio making out with Sharon Stone should be heavily arousing in a bubble. You say that, but then you see it and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. The math doesn't work out on this no, one. Yeah. Math doesn't really work. Hmm. Yeah. I should report this movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's so good. It's really it's so fucking good. Like I, it's it, just it, uh, this was my takeaway with a lot of these Raimi movies. Uh, this was one of the only ones that I I saw for the first time. But cuts out the bullshit, man. It does. It cuts out the bullshit. It really does. Just again, I, I'll go back to it again. Like the 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 final shootout and the explosions. Like there, there's just something about the way he edits his films that are just so satisfying. Yeah, like you really feel the impact of every one of those things. All the shots through the head. There are so many shots through bodies. Okay, okay, maybe, punctured bodies and this is the other thing i want to say it's like the things that would normally be like disposable like actiony moments are just punctuated with this perfect style and flair that feels artfully done a gunshot in this movie feels so impactful and weighty and i have, a, I have an emotional response to all of it you know mm-hmm. whereas like normally if you do these types of shootout sequences they're just like eh, and a guy dies he falls off and next guy yeah that's not the case here at all right Right. Every like snap zoom, every like 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 zoom dolly that they do, like just the way that the style is slightly different for every single gunfight, I thought was so interesting, and it gets the tension ratchet ups for each one, you know, as they go along. I just also like <laughs> I could I could talk about this movie's craft for a long time, as a matter of fact, because I feel like I feel like the way the style evolves as the movie goes along, it's like you're you're evolving into much more dramatic territory, like. Where they're zooming in on the clock tower at first, and it's kind of a very simple. Oh, the ticking of the clock. Yeah, is, yeah a little yeah, bit of tension. Yeah. But then, like I said before, you get those dolly zooms where it's like you're getting to like Gene Hackman and uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Whereas like that specific move works for these two characters and their relationship, but it would not have worked for just Russell Crowe shooting the random dude. It wouldn't have felt appropriate at all. Right. So, yeah, it is. Uh, it's just smart. It's kind of a hard thing to knit. Like... Mexican standoffs are a hard thing kind of to do because like they're over in a second yep. like they're literally a, it, it takes a second and so it's hard to structure a movie or even a scene around something like that because it's all tension building and then when it actually happens it kind of feels like a letdown sure almost almost always it feels like a letdown because it's like watching a guy get shot is not as inherently interesting as anticipating a guy getting shot. Mm -hmm. But because Raimi is so inventive with the camera, like he's able to mine so many thrills out of what's a pretty mundane action, which is like just two people standing Standing in an alleyway. Shooting. Yeah. Just shooting at each other. Like, you know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a Marvel. Like it's like to read. I would maybe recommend reading the plot summary of the movie before watching the movie and just sort of seeing how simple and basic it all is and then watching how it's executed. It's it's a pretty amazing combination of style and material in that way. It is, you know, it's a campfire story that could not possibly have been told better. Yeah, honestly. Right. It's so good. It's really good. Quick and the Dead. One of the more underrated films I've ever seen. It's a really good movie. It's really good. Yeah, it's really good. (laughs) Again, to see... I'm sorry if that's my commentary on all of these movies. They're great. So many rocks. Like, one of... The the visual inventions here are just so interesting. I love them. I love the way it's all incorporated. Yeah. I just... This guy's my jam. He is indeed. But then he takes it back a little bit. Well, he does. And this is one of the more interesting I, career zags yes. of the 90s, if not the most. Mm-hmm. It's 1998's A Simple Plan, written by Scott B. Smith, based on his novel of the same name, A Simple Plan, starring Bill Paxton, Billy Bob Thornton, and Bridget Fonda. Mm. This was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars that year for Billy Bob Thornton, along with Best Adapted Screenplay. It is the first movie... 
that we have discussed thus far with any Oscar nominations. Three blue-collar acquaintances come across millions of dollars in lost cash and make a plan to keep their find from the authorities. But it isn't long before complications and mistrust weave their way into the plan. Uh, cost $30 million to make, only made 16 Ah, it's too bad. Sometimes good people do evil things. Tagline? Yeah. Yeah, basic. You could say that about a lot of movies. It's the plot of every TV show from 2008 to 2018. Yep. Oh, here's a good one. $4 million and plenty of change. Uh, Got the double entendre, plenty of change. Yeah. They're changing. I see. I see what you did there. Let's forget about the taglines. Because <laughs> otherwise. You've given up on the tagline bit. It's, uh, they're terrible. $4 million and plenty of change. Oh, fuck off. Anyway. <laughs> That's awful. That's awful. Might have to put that in the bracket. Oh boy, we gotta. I I, I gotta come up with that bracket so you don't make any mistakes. What's <laughs> four million dollars and plenty of change? A simple plan. Talk to me. Great movie. Awesome movie. Great movie. <laughs> Fucking <slaps>. great movie. <laughs> I I saw it a couple probably last year year or two ago something like that for the first time. Yeah, because on on your recommendation. Yeah, I've been yeah preaching this movie for years. I'd read about it and I'd known that like like he he was partially helped out by the Coens in terms of like how to prep for the movie and that it sort of had a little bit of a resemblance to Fargo and then I saw the movie it might as well be Fargo 2 might as well be uh and I was I mean Sam Raimi's like one of my one of my faves and it's just so weird to see him do this yeah which is very careful and mature steady I'd call it steady because I think all of his movies are careful. Just, you know, they're intense, but that doesn't mean they're not careful. Um, this is, you know, also that, but again, just steady and, 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 and patient, I would say, in a way that his other films are not. Picasso painting a still life. Yeah. It's not my favorite film that he's done, but you, it's amongst his best. Might be mine. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's certainly amongst it. Well, that doesn't fucking surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's. It's a hell of an achievement for him, honestly, as yeah. as a storyteller. Just almost, I almost look at this movie as as a way of Sam Raimi just to prove himself. Where it's like I can play it straight, guys. Like to to show you that I just understand like what makes stories thrive, what makes them special, what makes them you know have an have an edge to them. I'm gonna do this, you know, and it's gonna work. And yeah, I can't. I I I don't have many negative things to say about this film. It's a great. Uh, uh, I, what would, what kind of what's the genre of, of movie? Uh, there's a lot. Like it, it's it's not as much of of a dark comedy as Fargo is, although it's kind of in that same vein. I mean, just because of the look of it, and there are some laugh lines. It it's kind of just like a it's a tragedy. Yeah, I it it, it yeah okay. You know, it's just like Be- a, a very human drama, uh, sort of like like deeply tragic, but also somewhat comedic character study. Definitely character study. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, but it but it is more on the tragic side because it's, it's certainly more so than Fargo. It's Shakespearean in that way. Sure. And I know like that's kind of a cliche, but you look at Bridget Fonda's character. That is Lady Macbeth. You know, yeah, I would agree. That yeah, is yeah, literally of, that's that's what she's doing. Exactly. Like, she's the one that. Yeah, uh, I 
I want to be able to eat out every night without having to check the price on the menu, you know, like, yeah, there's some I good mean, stuff in the beginning. Like, that. yeah, that scene is just like Lady Macbeth in the chamber convincing Macbeth yep. to, to kill the king, you know, <laughs> literally. Uh, but I would like to say, like, in terms of like, if we're comparing this to Fargo and like the semblance of drama, I mean, Sam Raimi does a really good job, holds a nice candle. To, I mean, particularly the scene where uh, they're trying to uh, get information out of their friend, basically. Yeah. Yes. And Billy Bob Thornton, you know, like the Bill Paxton's like like being fake the entire time and trying to play nice. And then Billy Bob Thornton's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's really good stuff. Billy Bob cuts to the core in this movie. Mm. He's really good. Yeah. And it's it's a performance coming off of Sling Blade that I'm not sure if I was him, I would have done it. Like, I'm not sure I would have went back to like the the mentally challenged well. I am. Which I mean that that sort of he's coming off a of sling blade which he just won an Oscar for and he was super hot at the time, I, like I, I don't know if I would have played another character like that again but he he is able to find a tremendous amount of heart and soul in these kinds of characters and it doesn't feel like just like an Oscar baity no. thing although it clearly was in an effort to win an Oscar I think it's a little more complex than what he's doing in sling blade personally it's not as like. You know, like it, he's not like disappearing in the way that he does in, in Sling Blade, but this is a much more complicated. It's more tragic, act. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Way more tragic, way, way far more sad yeah. uh, for the most part. Um, but it's the, it, the, the upsetting thing for me more, more than that is just the fact that it's it's a forgotten performance, man. No one knows about this thing. Yeah. Yeah. No one knows about this movie. Yeah. As a matter of fact. And there's there's not really a single weak link to it. You know, and every- Bridget Fonda's good. I don't really like Bridget Fonda that often. Think about that, yeah. You know, but I do agree though. Every character is an important chess piece, and they're used exactly the way they should be. I don't know. It's very it's unjudgmental, just, yeah. In that way, you know, it, it doesn't pull punches at all. Uh, Raimi, I I think uh, for the first time in his career. Allows himself to zoom out and see the whole chessboard where it's like Mm. it's not too much in anyone's head It's not too rigid in its point of view like it's very just sort of we're gonna rest the camera in this room and see what these people do Mm -hmm. Uh, And listen that is its own kind of talent Uh, We talk about this a lot in regards to David Lynch doing elephant man, you know the idea that The reason he can do a racer head or the reason he can do blue velvet is because he proved that he can do something as simple and basic as Elephant Man. Sure. And uh, like I think like all of the great artists to a certain extent have to be able to tap into this gear. They have to be able to shift to to this sort of thing. Uh, I mean, the Coens did it. You know, the Coens did uh, 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 did uh, Raising Arizona, but then followed it up with Miller's Crossing. You know, like, yeah, you have to show restraint at certain times in order to be a great filmmaker. Uh, Like even Danny Elfman here who does the score. This is the least Danny Elfman score maybe ever. Yeah. They're both kind of going to a similar place emotionally to do this kind of stuff, you know, which is interesting. Like they're both playing it straight. It's not Oingo Boingo in any way, shape or form what he's doing here. No, like everyone here is just like, on their best behavior, you know? Yeah, no, but they're, they're taking it very seriously. You know, yeah, it, even the laughs in this movie just feel like like a natural extension of the world, more so than like like a thematic point the movie's making, where it's like, it, it, the movie does get to the point where it's like, no, this is some dreadful stuff, guys. Right. This is, this is going to get upsetting. Like, those laughs you had at the beginning, forget about them. Yeah. And it, it, there's, it feels like everyone is on the same page with that, that, that sort of like very mature idea. That's, you know. That's what it is. Right. It's tough. Uh, would you fuck this up? 
would I fuck this up? Yeah. This this plot. If if you uh, yeah if you if you found a bag of money with your two buddies, let's say it was me, you, and Nick, would I fuck it up in the woods? Well, first of all, would you take the money? Uh well, that's a good question. Because I I think I know the answer for you, and for me, and I'm pretty certain about it. I would fuck it up. Uh, you would take the money and fuck it up. That is what you would do. I don't. Know. You would definitely take the money, and it would definitely get out of hand. Where I would either not take the money, or I would take the money and uh, immediately turn it into the police the next day. You would turn it into the police. I would freak out. I if, couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It well. Here's the thing. It does depend on the amount of money. With the amount of money they had, I might turn it into the police. Me personally. Yeah. The only other thing I would do, and I'm trying to remember if they did this, but like I would, I might bury the money somewhere. Yeah. But they, the, first of all, I would look at all the money and figure out like, could it be traced? Like, right. Like they do. Right. <laughs> and then I would probably discover that it can be traced. And then I'd be like, yeah, all right. What an ending, dude. Great. What I love ending. that cap so Jeez, much. Just like all of this was for literally nothing. But that, that's, that's confidence. Like, are we really going to go in that direction? And the movie says, yes. It goes there. More, no, it doesn't give him, the, I mean, yeah. that's why it's such like a brilliant Shakespearean tragedy in that yeah. way. It doesn't give him like this very easy sense of justice. Like it doesn't just kill Bill Paxton at the end. No. It makes him go back home and live with the choices that he made. And yes. Live with this wife who he, he will never truly love again in the way he once did and no. have to raise this daughter knowing that he just murdered her uncle, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. It's a, it's a, it's a really it, bleak, brutal ending to what is a, you know, a pretty entertaining movie for most of it. Yeah, very twisted. Very, you know, again, I would swear that the Coen brothers did this. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's very much in that vein. Anticlimactic very, in that way, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, in the handling of the money, exactly. Yeah. Right. So... It's just great, man. It just I I I keep going back to to Fargo, but I really do like now. I'm at that point where it's like I sort of view them as like like sister pieces. I mean, they both take place in Minnesota. For that's God's true, sakes. yeah. Like they're both they're both very Midwestern too, and sort of how these characters sort of have a chip on their shoulder, and how they're sort of just like just just going through the motions of life that they feel like they can't get out but it's also like the weird quirky underbelly of america not so much it it, it presents it as a, like it's not like the dark seedy like chicago lifestyle or new york lifestyle it's just like you know you know cute lovable midwesterns who are capable of evil right because yeah. we're all capable of evil yes right yeah it, it's just a, a great sort of exploration of human nature yep. in that way yep uh yeah i've talked about billy bob already uh, although bill paxton really good in this movie too just really carries this thing one of his few leading roles didn't have a ton of these yeah i know i was it, i still can't believe he died yeah yeah i mean we, we were owed another 20 years of great bill paxton performances it, it, that i more than almost any other actor that one still to this day upsets me yeah 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 but he's he and again this character he appears like a good guy and i'm sure he is a pretty decent guy i mean that's the thing about this they story are decent, though. there's that's, like there's... even fargo fargo is very simple and defined in its morality sure yeah you know who the good guys and the bad guys are immediately we're, yeah. we're here it's like all right this guy's kind of full of himself he has a college degree and he thinks like he's hot shit but he also knows that 
taking the money would be wrong, but he still does anyway. And it's all this like very gray sort of, you know, moral dilemma. And he kills people and he feels bad about it, but he still does it, mm-hmm. you know? So it's uh it's a difficult performance. It's not like really easy to pick up no. on the page. No, no, not at all. But you're constantly like, I don't know. You're constantly like, like, like I mean, we just did it. You you asked me what I would do, but that's kind of what the movie feels like. Right. You're always being like, yeah, I I can relate to Bill Paxton a lot, but would I actually do this? And you, a lot of people in the audience would say like, no, I'd never do it. But it's like, mm. well, yeah, because you know the consequences. Yeah, exactly. Right? But it's like, it's that same stupid argument where it's like, oh, if I was in this horror movie, I would do that. It's like, okay, bro. Yeah, yeah you don't know Jason is on the Ex- other exactly, side of the door. Exactly, exactly. Right. Exactly. You don't know that you'll have to shoot your brother in the back of the head. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so sad. Just do it. I got nothing to live for anyway. That's a great performance. It's really good. I love the line when they discover the the money and the, I forget the buddy's name. Lou is that his name? The third. Yeah, who they 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 shoot with a yeah. shotgun. Yeah. But when they first find the money, and uh, they're like, "Oh, we should we should take <sighs> it." And Paxton's like, "That would be stealing." And he goes, "Oh, he wouldn't mind." And, oh yeah, yeah. And Billy Bob Thornton does the little laugh, and he goes. Yeah, because he's dead, right? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's <laughs> a good character. It's a great, great character, character man. <laughs> great character. They're all, they're all great characters. The fact that even, like you said, even that Bridget Fonda is like a really interesting uh, foil. Yeah, foil. Yeah, not. I guess in a way, femme fatale to a degree. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Great movie, man. Yeah. A lot of great really movies great. today. They're all great movies. As far as I'm concerned, they're all three. That's rare. This is a very rare occasion for us where we nominate all of which I think are, are genuinely great films. I love them all. Yeah, me too. There is not a single one I, I would trade for the world. Yeah, Sam Raimi. That's why I wanted to do the podcast. Good selection. Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. I think we're going to go Evil Dead 2 here because, listen, it's your podcast. and uh, Also, yeah, but... I'm not going to like... Uh, possess your hand and force you to choose dark man it's uh <laughs> dude it's also the correct choice come on yeah come on. I, I would argue it's probably the best film yeah right, there we go yeah. one of the most visually inventive films i've ever seen in my life god that movie's just every second mm. Mm. delicious movies here though i will admit delicious every one of them yeah Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yeah. Coming to a cinema near you. I hate that we, we've just been praising all these <laughs> Sam Raimi films, and now we're like, eh, eh, eh. I'm kind of nervous now. Yeah. I Aren't know. you a bit nervous? Yeah, of course I am. <laughs> That's part of it. It's like, I don't usually get that way for movies. You know, I... I I'm like, I'm scared. I, I, I've never been, like, really disappointed, like, truly disappointed by a sam raimi film. like uh, like you know you, listeners we even like spider-man 3 so it's like come on i have not seen oz the great and powerful in yeah fairness. i caught part of it on tv i didn't hate it i just you know okay it is you know it's it's just it's a little serviceable thing yeah our, our buddy jabril was texting us before the show started and oh, yeah. uh he asked us if we would be interested in spider-man 4 depends yeah depends I would say probably no. I mean, just because like you would have to make it again under the watchful eye of Kevin Feige. I 
don't know if he would truly be able to make the kind of movie he made in 2005. That's the that's the thing that would upset me more because you do watch those originals, even the third one, and you're like, this is unique. This is so much different than anything we get out of any superhero film, let alone Spider-Man, by the way. Jesus Christ. Right, right. Yeah, knowing how superhero movies are made now mm-hmm. and knowing that it would most likely be shot in a in Atlanta soundstage in front of a green screen with yeah I mean I don't know maybe I'll be proven wrong by by Doctor Strange because he made a movie like that under those restraints but sure but I mean like you we look at these these you know these mega blockbusters and to us they're they, they're the antithesis of you know auteur pieces you know visionary works they don't have any personality so yeah, that's that's why it's scary to see Sam Raimi, someone like Sam Raimi, thrown into any of them. I mean, look what happened with Ryan Coogler, right? So yeah, I'm, but uh, we'll see. But that but that that that's the fascinating thing about the Spider-Man trilogy is that they're unmistakably Sam Raimi films through and through, right? So I don't know. D- the question is, do the studios love him as much as we do? Good question. See, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't know. Like it, it does feel like. Again, maybe it's just the circles that I travel in or whatever I'm reading online, but it, it does seem like there was, there was a lot of excitement about Sam Raimi doing this. I agree. I agree. But you never know. Like, like, But do fanboys know what that means, though? No. Do you know what I'm saying? No, like, when a fanboy hears Sam Raimi's making the new Doctor Strange, like... There is a certain percentage that definitely do. It's not like nobody does, but generally But are they speaking, just equating, like, oh, I liked this movie that Sam Raimi did yeah. 20 years ago, so therefore I'm going to like this one? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Right. That's the thing. Right. And also, you never really know if, like, the studios or, or anybody is, like, truly on board with it just because of this director or if they have a lot of love for the director. You know, learning about the behind the scenes of Fury Road, studios were still like, I don't know about you, George Miller. And the only reason that movie's as good as it is because he said fuck you i'm making this movie and broke a lot of rules to get it going so maybe that's what raimi would have to do for spider-man 4 you never know put it this way i would much rather see evil dead 4 than spider-man 4 <sighs> well nico there's a tv show that i should watch right there is a tv show you should watch okay but on the topic of evil dead 4 uh-huh. it's coming out this year what evil dead rise is coming out this year it's a sequel to the original yep with Bruce Campbell? No. He's just producing it. So is it a, a reboot of some kind? Is It, it a... is considered the fourth installment. In, I mean, I guess now fifth because the Evil Dead remake is also kind of sort of a remake sequel. But yeah. Evil Dead Rise. Yep. Yeah, I don't think this counts though. Lee Cronin. Yeah. Who has worked on nothing of note? Was handpicked by Raimi. To make this movie. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I was I love the title. The title makes it sound even more like a zombie film, by the way. <laughs> Evil Dead Rise. Oh yeah. Not a zombie film. Look at that. Coming this year. Wow. All right. Yeah, it surprised you there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. No, I, I I guess what I meant to say is I would rather have Sam Raimi's a- Evil Dead movie yeah, I than I would uh <laughs> right. Okay. I was just like, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Interesting. We are getting another Evil Dead. <sighs> See anything else recently that you wanted to shout out? I, I haven't uh, really had time to watch any new movies. I've just been catching up on yeah. the, the thousands of TV shows currently on right now. Yeah, I don't think I have seen. I, I saw um, Marry Me. 
Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned that. Yeah. I only, again, got through like 15 minutes of that. And you had to shut it off. You hated it that much. I wanted to like it because I had heard like at least some people say it was a guilty pleasure. So I, I, you know, I said I, I stand by it's it's watchable. Yeah. You know, it's pretty, you know, it's it is a movie that's designed for you to see with your girlfriend on Valentine's Day. And that's exactly what it was. Right. Uh, Yeah. I didn't hate it. Loved the characterization of Jimmy Fallon in at (laughs) least the first 15 minutes that I saw. Yeah, that was well done. Yes. That was extremely well done. He he is the emperor in that fucking movie. With lightning shooting out of his fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Happens on occasion in this movie. They just take him to task. Uh, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, I didn't hate it. I'll say that. It's fine. But, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, you know, dumb as fuck. Yeah. It's about as dumb as you could possibly make a movie. But, yeah, I don't care. I don't care, man. I'm not as cynical as I used to be in well, terms of films. Good. So that's good. I'm just like, all right, marry me. Yeah. Okay, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know you've just been busy following the Amber Heard uh, Johnny Depp trial. <laughs> Abby's been very on that. I, I'm sort of waning away from it. I, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of just getting into it. Really? Kind of. Yeah, she's uh, <laughs> kind of you, getting into it. You, you look at Amber Heard, you're like, whoa, this is a very attractive woman. But you go through that hearing and you will become physically unattracted to her. <laughs> Haven't gotten there yet, but I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is Movie Hall of Fame. Uh, we will be back in a few weeks talking flicks. Who knows what? We'll see. Have a good one. Until next time. Groovy. Groovy.